On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we go with Rufus across the United States as he drives for hours. This is a 24-hour podcast warning because it's tracking Rufus as he goes cross-country. We talk a little bit about the Sloan Analytics Conference and my panel there. And finally, we do a mailbag, which is fun. So with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage and sports gambling is Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. This is our long-awaited return. It's been too long since we've done a podcast. And this is our dedication to being podcasters. Rufus is driving from Seattle to Vegas, I'm assuming? Yep, to Vegas. Because you're headed there for Bet Bash and all the all the festivities that are there. So now he's stopped in parts unknown Oregon. Where where exactly? La Grande, I believe it's called. I think the E is silent. I think it's La Grande. Maybe. I'm just kidding. Who knows? Uh he stopped there and he's pulled over on the side of the road and he's doing the podcast. I I mean it, it would have been fine if you were actually driving during that time. You're probably just as coherent as you're when you're driving as when you're not. Um, it's true. The thing is, I probably would lose service. I've I've had a few conversations already today while driving where it, I, I lost service. So how how I'm has staying. the drive been so far? Um, long. I mean, in, there's a ways to go. Unfortunately, it's it's not the prettiest of drives. Unfortunately, but you you it's know about be done. you know about the um. This other kind of travel called airplanes. Are you familiar with that? Wait, what? No. And there's probably like really simple airplanes that go from Seattle to Las Vegas, probably pretty frequently throughout the day. I mean, we'll have to double check that on the internet, but I'm guessing that's true. Well, I think the big problem is that I drove up to Montana for, uh, to spend a month skiing. And, and then I was like, I have to go to my friend's art gallery thing it's in Seattle. I might as well stay up here for another 10 days. So I kind of just drove around, uh, Around the Northwest, I had, I got dinner and drinks with our, our good friend Josh Hermsmeyer uh, in Coeur d'Alene. And, you know, I would just like kind of kept going. And now I ha- unfortunately had a car in Seattle and I have to get it back to Vegas. So, yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, let, let's get started with, I think the first conversation is we really haven't talked about Sloan. Um, Sloan used to be such a big place where sports betting uh, people would kind of meet up and, I think in Spanky's mind, Bet Bash is going to replace that, which is, I think, probably uh, reasonable. I think it's true. Well, for sure. I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the the same people, right? I think Spanky is advertising this and wants it to be the premier networking event for sports betters, and that's great. Sloan was never supposed to be that; it just kind of accidentally became that, right, for for a little while. Right, but I think Spanky's. Th- I think Spanky's event is going to have basically everybody from the industry. So, um, and I'll see basically everybody I would normally see at Sloan, except you, Jeff, plus, uh, plus a lot of other people. So. Well, I wasn't invited, my- so I, I'm not going to go cause I'm, I'm upset that I wasn't invited. So I'm boycotting mm-hmm. Bet Bash. 
Is it is it an invitation only event? No, I'm that? I'm not I'm not boycotting. I'm I would love. I think it sounds great. There's gonna be great people there. Um, sounds like the the programming is great. You guys have done a great job promoting it. Um, I'm curious to hear all about it. But um, I personally, you know, like I have to pick and choose, you know, my my marketing and networking and and whatnot events. Uh, and so for me, like it, it, it was, uh, it's a tough weekend and, and final four weekend in Las Vegas tends to be a pretty deuterific weekend. So but that's why you guys are going to hang out with dudes. So, right. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's 300 people. I'm sure it's going to be what? 98% male. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be the know. most re- representative or inclusive environment that we've ever seen. True. Uh, I've, how does that? How does that? Uh, how does that? How does that work with your wokeness? Some women. I don't know. My my wokeness. I don't I even mean, know that, what does woke mean anymore. How to, how to get more women to the sports betting industry? Be more inclusive. Who knows? I mean, all you know, all these uh, all these operators are getting more women into the industry. It's true. Um, yeah. So did you? It sounds like you did watch my panel at Sloan. Did you have any observations or questions or thoughts? I did. I I, I listened to it while uh, while driving yesterday. Actually, I thought it was fantastic. I, I thought you just um, you basically just dunked on the Caesars guy a lot. I mean, he made it kind of easy to dunk on. It he was did. like a very interesting. So um, the the premise behind this is. I was invited to be a panelist on a uh, panel at Sloan featuring myself, uh, John Sheeran, who obviously we all know, and uh, Gene, Gene, Lee. From Caesar, Gene Lee yeah. from Caesars, uh, who is there, like, runs all of their sort of analytics and whatnot. Um, and uh, the the actual uh, moderator was uh, the guy from ESPN, uh, last name is Morrison, that kind of runs uh, a lot of the sports betting stuff from them from a business perspective. And it was an interesting panel because when we were doing a prep call for the panel, I kind of saw how this was going to go. I was actually um, in an airport uh, uh, or in a car uh, on my way to uh, the airport in Denver. And so I was taking this call at like some ungodly uh, time in the morning. I think it was like 6 a.m., and they were prepping for the call and they asked Gene, the guy from Caesars, a little bit about like what he thought about pricing in the world and how pricing would evolve. And he basically was like, well, I think this is going to become like the hotel industry where, you know, people get different prices based on who you are. And he kept talking about that. And I finally just had Which to is, like, by the way, illegal. But. I finally had to just pipe in and be like, you know, this is like predatory and illegal. And if you say this on the panel, I mean, I have no choice but to to basically kind of go at you. So just be prepared for that. And, you know, like essentially that became the, the crux or the, the genesis of, of the panel. What what I think is interesting about this is the clear point of view that they took. And, and, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast is what direction does the industry in the U.S. go? Does it go more towards pure entertainment? Or does it go more towards a regulated market and where people are like allowed and and trying to make money off of it? And, you know, our disagreement has always been. And I don't even know if it's a disagreement, like it's like a classic Rufus and Jeff argument where we're like both arguing like different things and we're both adamant about the side we're arguing. 
But your point is like it kind of should be more like a regulated market. And my argument is more like it's not going to be because that's not how these people Wait, look I've at never, it. You, you know what you, you said on the panel? You're like, my podcast partner, Rufus, believes that the, you know, the market should just be there to cater to, to him and other professionals. And I'm like, that's never what I've said. <laughs> I, I get that. You know, I, I just want what I, I was want talking about it in the marketplace. I was, I was, I was talking, talking about a different, about a different podcast partner, Rufus. Yeah, OK. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have a dog named Rufus now? He's my podcast Jeff, you should, partner. You should actually have a dog named Rufus. That would be fantastic. He interrupts me fewer, so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, but wait, my point is that what, I, what I've always said is that I want these market-making type books to have – to be able to get market access. I don't think it should be exclusionary where – you know, the big operators, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, the MGM's, Caesars, whatever, where they're essentially writing legislation saying, look, no, we, we should get a monopoly or, you know, you should have to have been in three other states to be able to get a license here. And, and basically things that are designed to limit competition. And I thought the Caesar, I mean, I think you mentioned this in terms of um, on your panel that competition breeds innovation. And the fact that there are so many barriers to entry in the United States market um, is what is inhibiting and in, in what is going to inhibit innovation. And then he came back and said, yeah, but with regulation, you, you can trust us. But I thought the other interesting point, um, the other interesting point was the Caesars guy basically said that he used the analogy well, to brick and mortar sports books in the past and how they were sort of a, um, they were a loss leader. And now you came back at him and basically said, well, why is that going to be different now that that we have, you know, expanded sports betting, more expansive sports betting and, and it's online? If it's a low margin, biz- if it was a low margin business then and loss later, then why is it why do people expect it to somehow be super profitable now versus just an on ramp to iGaming? I thought that that was a very, very good point you made. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you for saying that. And honestly, like it's something that occurred to me while I was on the panel, I'm like listening to these people talk and I'm just like, wait a minute. So we have this like shitty business model that was a loss leader and we haven't effectively done anything to change the business model, right? It's not like the cost of, I mean, you could say like maybe you're reducing the friction on betting so like people can bet more and you could take more transactions. But honestly, that doesn't fundamentally change the business model. And we've seen that it actually like doesn't make the margins necessarily any better, right? So um, I, I I wonder whether that will end up being what happens ultimately is like we use sports betting as an on ramp to more profitable businesses like iGaming. Well, I, I think the valuations like certainly, I mean they, they're certainly reflecting the fact that there's a ton of optimism over over iGaming. And that's kind of, I mean, that is clearly going to be much more lucrative than, than sports betting. But um, you know, there's a while to go till we, you know, I think, until we so, sort of get there where, where that's kind of more expansive. Yeah, I wonder a little bit about iGaming, too, because, like, I don't, I mean, I would never want to play craps online. Like, and, and actually, this is a good segue. Like, someone, like, literally asked, why does Jeff play craps? It's negative EV. It's and for fun. I, it's entertainment. Yeah, it's pure entertainment. It's like a way to like do some stuff in a casino socially with your friends and get a little sweat in. And yes, it's negative EV, but 
if you play it optimally and you are good at managing comps, it's, you know, probably close to, close to, you know, neutral, um, in the grand scheme of things. And again, like it's, it's fun. I mean, and I, I don't know how I've done it, but I've done pretty well in crops my entire life from a, from a lifetime value standpoint. I mean, I mean, it's gonna are, cl- are you tracking it? Um, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I it's exactly. like the, the reality is it's, it's too hurtful for me not to track it at some level where, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't do it if it was, if it was, if I was losing a lot of money doing it, I just wouldn't do it. True. Um, I think it's easy to, I mean, you're probably somewhere close to break even, but I doubt you, I, I doubt you have that level of awareness of it. I mean, I mean, honestly, like I'm not, I'm, the 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 biggest reason that I'm probably not break even is because when I win, I tend to like spend a lot more money and you know do things fun with my friends and not ask for them to pay me back. And then when I lose, is more when I ask people to pay me back. But <laughs> gen- generally, like you know, that's why there's a high variance and whatever whatever I tell you, you owe me from a Vegas trip. So, <laughs> so I, I think you brought up an interesting point though. Um, and I want to kind of go a little further and say, who who is going to be playing the iCasino? I mean, I would guess that that I guess the percentage of problem the percentage of users that are problem gamblers is going to be much higher than it would be for a regular casino because it you don't have that social element and and so I mean I, I yeah I mean I what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean I definitely think that's true. I mean I think I think. Um... The idea of sitting at home and playing slots on your phone, it sounds like a very lonely experience. And I think, I think sounds the biggest awful. thing, what's that? Sounds awful. Yeah, but you're not a degenerate gambler. We've already, we've already established that. Um, I think the interesting thing, and, and I think that this is broadly speaking, what needs to happen is these kind of casino games need to evolve. Um, not just for, you know, iGaming perspective, but also for the millennials or the Gen Zs or or whatever the next generation is, because they're just not the same as as we are in wanting to play some of these games, um, or or as I am in wanting to play these games. So I even think like the games that we see in casinos are going to need to change quite a bit. Like you know, the evolution of like Casino War to whatever, like it just hasn't <laughs> evolved very much. And I think like they're going to have to evolve if like realistically you want to see more people actually spending money and time in casinos. What about games that involve some skill? I mean, because think about what's happened with video games. Suddenly that's, you know, people are playing those for money. Um, You know, something that's kind of a combination of luck, but a little bit of skill too. Would that be, I I tend to think the younger generation kind of goes for those types of things. Although I really don't understand the generation. I, I tweeted out the other day that I was I was at a this really nice sushi bar in Capitol Hill neighborhood in Seattle sushi restaurant. I was sitting at the bar and the and the person next to me was um, on FaceTime with I presume her boyfriend who was lying in bed like for an hour like the entire meal and, and talking about her meal and and it was you know so I I, I do not understand twenty one year olds but did you did you promptly face that is was that when you FaceTime me to show me that wonderful California roll you were eating. I didn't FaceTime you. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce, you can't even, we can't even make this shit up. Like, it's just. <laughs> uh, okay, anyway, anyways. I was, I was playing along, Jeff. Were you? That was good then. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. That was very good comedic timing. You kind of nailed it. Because when, when have I, 
Because I don't think you and I have FaceTime once in our life, have we? We probably WhatsApp video called. I don't even think so. Yeah, probably we've had meet, not. It's just meetings. We've Zoomed a lot, quite a bit. This is true. I think and we've probably case, teamed. Um, anyway, so anything else on the you're panel? Probably drunk, you're probably drunk at the craps table being like, where are you? And accidentally butt FaceTimed you. Um, exactly. What? Anything else from that panel that, that was interesting to you? Um, I don't know. Do you, is, is there anything you want to sort of elaborate on or, or discuss? It was like a while ago. I mean, like the, the general, the general, um, you know, vibe of Sloan for those people that have gone in the past and want to know it was, it was like almost back to normal. It was, it definitely wasn't quite as, you know, high profile as it's been before, but you know, like Nate was there and I, I did my like finishing dinner and Nate, Pablo Torre, like a bunch of other people came. It was, it was pretty fun. Um, but speaking you know, of there was, Nate, a lot, there was actually a lot on golf. There was Susie Whaley was there and I spent a bunch of time with her. She used to be the president of PJ of America um and you know there was uh you know scott fawcett was there even though like he ignores all my text messages oh, and and um he's i didn't meet him podcast next week jeff he, sweet then i, I can ask him, him why I, he's I've been DMing ducking him. me even he he like i i have his phone number where like he texted me and said we'll get it done next week perfect yeah very well, very dude. exciting those of you guys that want more golf nerd i mean our podcast could turn to golf nerddom pretty quickly because because we love golf so much. Golf and Calcutta nerddom. Golf and Calcutta. I, I'm kind of like stopping loving Calcuttas now that I can't seem to win win in one, and I keep. <laughs> Although the 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 interesting thing about the players is, I was very very close to to ending in the black again. If Keegan doesn't go three over on the la- his last two holes of the day, I probably end up in the black again. I mean, you could say that. I could say that about like the. What was I know you're going to say the that. PGA you could say last this is... year. No, the PGA last year. I had I had what three guys in like the top seven going into like hole 16, and they all or the, that part three and maybe a 17, and like Cantlay gets a triple and like Scheffler bogey. Yeah, you know, there's always. I mean, Fine. you and Martin were both saying, "Oh, you know, you know, we had this bad break." So I'm like. Come on, man. We all. We oh, all I didn't. Break. I didn't. I didn't say I had a bad break. I wasn't saying I've had a bad break. I was just saying like I was well positioned again going into like the last whatever thirty minutes of the tournament to be in the black again. That's. I was not saying I get had a bad break. I mean, Keegan shot like eight under to get to where he was. Yeah. That was that was way above expectation. I'm I'm definitely, you know, I I think that. All, in, all, in the grand scheme of things, because I also had guys like Sepp Straka get into the money and Russell Knox get into the money that that were otherwise. Do you think if you go back in that um, in time? Well, I mean, obviously, you probably would change things. But the idea of like including more variance into your model or into your simulations, like that's clearly what Adam was thinking, why he was buying just so many golfers, right? Well, variance because of the conditions and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. And I, the condi- the conditions I spoke about sent- that. I, I think, or maybe it was on Twitter or something where I, I mentioned that that given the fact that there was going, given, given the fact that the weather was a huge unknown, we knew there would be delays, but at least I, I wasn't confident enough to say what weather people like confident to say what weather certain golfers would face. I think that's the problem with thunderstorms. You don't really know the timing of them exactly, how long, you know, how much water they're going to dump, et cetera, et cetera. So. So I added in essentially some uncertainty 
um, between the waves. Like in some simulations, this wave, one wave got much more of a bump and the other one, the other wave did that type of thing. Uh, and so I tended, yeah, I mean, I, 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 like, I certainly incorporated that. Yeah, but I would you have dialed it up even more? No, I mean, like the the amount of variance that ended up, or the amount of volatility, or whatever you would call it, that ended up happening because of the weather was insane, right? Well, it was just it was just one wave that benefited a lot, right? But that is yeah. something you would never have been able to predict, which had an, a huge uh, a huge effect on the outcome, right? It did. I wouldn't say that the variance though within a wave was was. That right, but you had crazy. two arbitrary blocks where one of them, like one block, really had very little chance to win in that tournament and compete in that tournament. Another block that was like had a huge advantage, and you Jeff, had no like, way to. It's like the uh, British Open. I mean, right? And, and who? I, I think there was someone on Twitter who was com- really complaining about it and saying the PGA shouldn't have like played, you know, Friday, no, Saturday afternoon, I guess, because it was you know it's so disadvantaged one wave. But it's like. Look, that's the kind of that's the way it works. Like, yes, luck is a part of it. Luck is a part of gambling. Luck is a part of sport, and being able to understand that that uncertainty um, is, I think, something that provides opportunities from a betting perspective. And in this case, it it wasn't like oh, it wasn't like a it wasn't like that. There was this big wave split we could have all predicted beforehand, but. I think we knew that there was going to be some wet, a good deal of weather uncertainty. And you're right. I probably like I was probably conservative in how much uncertainty I added for it. But, um, you know, and I think that. I, yeah, I don't know if you. Right. I, th- I think it clearly was a lot more. The wave split was much bigger than we one would have anticipated. Yes. Anyways, I, I feel like. Uh, we are talking in circles on this. I think it's an interesting topic, but I feel like we're not actually progressing very much on it. No, I think I think we kind of agree, though. Yeah, sure. Um, quickly on the Masters and on the topic of Calcutta's, do you think we should change the format yeah. for the Masters? I think the one thing with these Calcutta's, the golf Calcutta's, they're so much fun, but I do think the way they're set up, there's just so much more variance in outcome um, then, for example, the NFL playoffs or the NCAA tournament, just because so few, so much lesser players, right? Is that the right word, Jeff? Lesser players, uh, least players, the least, the least. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like if you have somebody, I mean, there aren't realistically, there's not that many people that have a chance to cash or cash any meaningful amount going into a Sunday. I yeah, think that I mean, was a little I, bit different at the players because of because the leaderboard was kind of pretty squished. Um, but I, I I I kind of feel like it. It's a little bit of is is your approach to them, right? Because I think for me at least in the golf Calcutta's because I and maybe there'll be one that I just get completely killed in. But I've definitely like, gotten like like the science NCAA one. No, no, no. But that's your point is that the golf ones have 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 fewer you know have more variance or whatever is, is what you're saying and i'm i was about to say like before you tried to dunk on me i was about to self-dunk on myself which was to say that like i've had much i've lost much more in the nfl one the nfl one this year and then we're we're losing you know like there's not you can't buy that many teams right and you just happen to buy all the really expensive ones and if they don't 
if they don't work out. I mean, they have, yeah. Right, but I don't, I don't, I don't agree with your, your, your assessment that the golf ones are inherently, you know, like, I think if you, again, if you take a strategy of taking a couple big golfers that don't cash, yeah, of course. But if you, Jeff, I think, I, I, I'm going to say that I think you're making an argument based on how many golf cut cutters we had. Five. That's not a large sample. Um, I, I think that if you, you know, if you randomly simulated a bunch of golf cow cutters, you would, it, it would clearly show a lot more variance in outcome because what 48% of the pot went to the top three golfers out of 154, whatever it is. Like that's, that's a very large percentage going just essentially to the, like the, the top two point something, two, two plus percent, right? I mean, okay, so we can, we can, we can do a new model that lower, if the goal is to sort of lower the variance. I don't think we necessarily need to, what I would like is, I think it would be better for the sweat too, if you had, if, if essentially like every golfer that makes the cut is get, get something. Um, and maybe, right, but maybe how much like of the pot do you 20, want that to 20% be? 20% of the pot is split amongst people that make the cut. Um, okay. something like that. Then, then you're going to have, cause I mean, think about in the NCAA tournament, um, Calcutta, because wins are, it's not like wins at the end are worth that, that much more than wins at the beginning. And same with football. You end up having teams, you don't have quite as, you don't have quite the range of, of, uh, different values although actually golf it's because we we have to group the five golfers together after or we, we do the groups of five after the top well, so the five. so if we're going to do this if we're going to do this one with cuts with the cut we probably want to do it for the masters because it's the smallest field right yeah and we don't even, yeah so well, the masters we're not, the groups aren't going to be as big just because we have uh you know there's what 90 golfers in the field and your pal phil you know isn't that isn't that what i just said football. rufus that's literally what i just said right but I'm, I'm, but why? I mean, I was still thinking for the other cut guys, we could still have a made cut be worth a certain amount, even with you, even in, within the groups. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. We, we can, let's throw it out to the group. Okay. So, so yeah. people are, people are often mixed on our Calcutta talk. So let's move on from Calcutta talk. Because okay. I know you want to hit the road again at some point. Um, do you want to go through some of the questions that we have or what else did you want to talk about? Yeah, let's do that. You or wanna... did you want to dunk on me more about my poor NCAA Calcutta? Well, it's okay. I mean, you... I still have Providence. I, mean, I, think, I think, I think you, you're on the, you're on the wrong side of the Calcutta aging curve. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's still, there's still arguably what, like if we do one for the NC, if we do one for the NBA playoffs, which maybe we'll do, there's still, Five or six Calcutta's left left this year, so we're still. Oh, and there's still. If we we maybe we'll do one for the full NFL season too, that we've talked about. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think the NFL season one would be would be a really fun sweat. Yeah. Um. Okay, we'll jump into some questions. I like this. First of all, Eric Crawford, um, who made the Down with BTP T-shirt, is asking why we haven't bought one. And I am going to literally buy one today so because I feel like he made the effort to do it. And it actually has my picture on it, which I kind of like love, and so it adds your picture on it. Ooh. So any T-shirt with my picture on it is amazing. Um, I want what, is too. Your, what is your dream foursome, and what type of money game would you play? I'm going to let you go first on that. 
on that, Jeff? My dream foursome. Me, you, Shane Sigsby, and... Oh, God. You trying to remember our fourth last time? No, I remember... I remember. Oh, uh, the fourth was that random. No, it depends which which one we which day you're saying. Uh, I want to play with Peter Jennings. So it's it's me, you, Shane Sigsby, and Peter Jennings. That's my dream foursome. It's a pretty good foursome. It'd be fun. It would. And it's actually I'd one want, that we can make happen. So I want to. I'd want some people that are gamblers and fun and don't don't take themselves too seriously. Like I would love to play. I think playing with with. With Chuck would be awesome. Barkley? Yeah. Or Schwab? Ooh, maybe both of them. If you played with Chuck Schwab, you could play at Nenea, which is his golf course. So that's And that's a pretty sick golf course. Uh, okay, so, so me, me, you, Charles Barkley, and Charles Schwab. How's that sound? That's, so, me, so the betting game would be the bet the process against the Chucks. There you go. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. What are some other golf betting golfer to win a major in a season? Would you bother? Do you prefer horses for courses? Okay. Uh, none of these are trying. I only bet on humans when I bet on golf. I don't bet on horses. If you use Betfair Exchange, which you don't, to what extent would you try to mask your positions? Would I try to mask them just so the market wouldn't know? Yeah. Um. I mean, I feel like the market has a – I feel like I clearly am not doing a very good job masking my positions in general. Um, you know, my my business part – we used to have a bet fair because um, my business partner lives outside the United States. Um, yeah, we didn't really – we weren't – if I was able to – if I had a bet fair where I could, like, actually bet a lot and see markets, I would totally do that, I think – um, that fair certainly makes it a challenge to to get money in and out. Well, to yeah, get money in and out, and just with all the KYC and and so I've never really been in that position, I guess. But I wouldn't. I mean, I would. I just would like to get more down on on those types of markets. So and I, I do think the one thing I'd be able to do with that. Um, is, is to essentially bet against golfers winning too, which doesn't sound like that much fun, honestly. But you know, I think it would probably be it would add EV. But like laying one to sixty, you know, laying minus six thousand that some golfer doesn't win, for example. Uh, how about um, fuck, Mary, kill, Jeff, Ma, Buddhism, or punting? Do you even know how to answer that question? <laughs> I, I'd marry Buddhism for sure. You're, I mean, I'm assuming you're not going to kill me. That would be really sad. No, no, I fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> this is really kill, going in punting. a, a bad I, I direction. Uh, how how would you fuck? I mean, punting feels like it might be a little bit of a bad. Like fucking punting doesn't feel like it would be a. Yeah, that's like feels, a negative. That feels you're kind like, of risky. That feels punting. like. Screw punting. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think you nailed it. I mean, also, uh, but you're gonna have to I'm kill me. That's bad. Fi- yeah. Um, 
Need a new need a suggestion for a good dinner in SF that'll be open on Easter Sunday and possibly the best dim sum if we can make it from down from Napa that morning. Greatly appreciate it. Well, do you want? Are you interested in this? Because this is this is a very inside baseball San Francisco food scene. Uh, I'm, Mr. I'm always interested. In there's Mr. Jews, which is an incredible like high end Chinese restaurant. Uh, Brandon Jews, an incredible chef. All of the Mina restaurants are great, like uh, Pabu and Ornos. Um, there's obviously much fancier and like higher rated restaurants these days in San Francisco. From a dim sum perspective, uh, there is uh, Dragon Bow, which is like easy if you're coming from Napa, if you go across the Golden Gate. And then there's also like, uh, 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 I forget the name of the one. There's there's one in the in the uh, in the financial district that's a Yang Sing. It's super fancy, super expensive. But if you're going with like non-Asian people that aren't used to some of the dim sum world, uh, that's a great safe place to go. Um, if you're an amateur better looking to turn pro, what do you feel are the most important questions to ask a professional to get better if given the time? I can't think of anything. What would you ask your, what, what's the question that you would ask yourself if you were an amateur better? That's, that's a better one- way to say it. I don't think there's anything that I asked someone that really revolutionized things for me. Like I, I spent, I think my time at Las Vegas sports consultants was, was crucial to, to my development. I think going in to that, having some background in the markets, given the fact that I had done six weeks of research for a professor um, at Yale actually on sports betting markets was like, I mean, that plus the time I had with people that actually were doing it and just kind of learning via osmosis, you know, being around them and seeing, how they do things and how I do things differently and kind of, you know, I think you learn how you're different and whether that's correct in some cases or incorrect in others. But I don't know. I, I don't think, I think you're almost better off, like in terms of if you want to get better modeling and stuff like that, you're probably better off talking to someone else that's kind of trying to grow as well. It's willing to bounce ideas off of you because most professionals are probably not going to be wanting to give away their secrets. I think the one thing I would ask you, and I think we've talked about it again, is if you could go back in time and do this as your profession, is this what you would do? That's a good question. I, You know, if I had to start over right now, like if I was just getting started, um, probably no, because it sounds exhausting. And <laughs> although, and I'm just burned out, man. You know, I don't know what else to say. Um, but I don't know what else. The thing is, it's like, I don't know what else I would have done. Do I want to, would I have been someone who wanted to go on Wall Street? No, like, that's just not, I've always, what's made me, what's, what's made me good at this, I think, is having tools to answer questions, but being able to ask the right questions and being able to think creatively and logically. And, but you need to, I think you would have been a good questions. I have to care about it a little bit and have some knowledge about something. No. And, and, and I think you could have been a good, like quantitative, like economist slash data scientist in the right business setting, like where there was an area that you cared a lot about. Like, so maybe it's something around public policy or something around, um, you know, like an area that you that you largely like care about. I think you could have been really good because I do think you're good. You know, obviously, I work with a lot of good data scientists in my life. And, and I, I think you have qualities of some of the best data scientists that I've worked with. 
where it's not about the actual like modeling that makes you great. It's like the ability to ask questions and sort of challenge and deconstruct systems in a way that like, you know, you, you can gain an edge that way. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. The thing is like, when I think about other industries, I don't just, I just don't have those. I don't know. Right. But that's just also like how long, you, much. how long you've been yeah. doing this, you know, and I think there's probably an industry out there that would give you that level of curiosity. I'll say this, Jeff. I never, in four years in college, I never lived with anybody dumber than me. I always felt like I was always the dumb roommate. So I, I, I don't think that I'm, you know, quite as smart as you make me out to be. I think that I got into an industry where there's fewer smart people. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're smart. Like I don't, okay. smart is not a, smart is not like a binary thing. You know, like smart is, there's a lot of different kinds of smart, yes. right? So, um, Risk of Ruin podcast asked, and this is probably a good one for you. When you bet Super Bowl props, how do you estimate how much you should be betting on each prop since it seems like errors will be correlated? I just go balls to the wall and bet as much as I can. Really? Yeah. On the Super Bowl? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, we put, we had, we, what did we have? I think we finished, no, we, at one point when we were logging, it looked like we were going to finish like $2 short of $2 million in volume, but we ended up over $2 million. Um, it was split. It was split a few ways, but no, I don't know. Like, it would so be like too basically hard in because... real time to figure that out. Like, there's enough There's enough diversity in positions. Like, sure, errors are correlated, but they're also – some of the things are negatively correlated. If I'm, if I'm under on like three, wide, three receivers on one team, um, you know – those are going to have some degree of negative correlation just because multiple people can't catch the same pass. And Jeff's going to find Yeah, I know you're going to say like quarterback throws it, it gets batted back to him and he throws it again. But that, that's actually Tom Brady tried to do that once your hero. And, and um, he's not my know, hero. he didn't realize that you can't do it. Well, he's he's not my hero. He doesn't even play for the Patriots hero. anymore. Your ex hero. Um, like, but, but in terms of thinking about like, yeah, I'm, there's certainly times when I'm kind of looking, I'm like, okay, you know, I think we have a ton on this guy. I'm going to kind of prioritize finding other edges. Okay. How much edge do you add for home field advantage in baseball games? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I don't know. Do you want to answer? Is there, is there an answer? I think to this? you know better than I do. Cause I haven't, I haven't bet baseball since. Well, so, so what, what was interesting is when we built this simulator, right? Um, with Renz, the guy, I don't know if you remember yeah. Renz, but yeah. And when uh, we built this, Renz. oh yeah, we, we, yeah, he gave you COVID, I think. Um, when we or built this or whatever, patient we, zero. We, both, we all gave Rudy Gobert. Well, I think I gave Rudy Gobert COVID because, you know, the jazz were in that hotel lobby where we yeah, met. We were hanging out in that hotel lobby and they were there. Um, and, and Donovan Mitchell yeah. was there too. And you touched all their microphones. Um, but there is always the argument of who Patient Zero was, whether it was you or Spanky. And Rob Pizza says for sure it was Spanky because he was, like, coughing the whole time. You remember this argument? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, but 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 I – I mean, I think – well, maybe I, – I don't remember the argument, but I also think that I was sick on Thursday. I thought I was just tired, but I – you know, I wasn't coughing, but I still felt under the weather in a way. It was, just, it was so I early was on in this like whole process that – well, so when we were doing this baseball simulator, we were trying to figure out how to B 
build home field into the simulator, right? Because do you do it on a given at bat level or something like that? Yeah, because right? essentially, if you're if you're simulating by the pitch using using you know pitch FX or whatever stat track whatever data and projecting and and weather and all this kind of stuff, like where does the home field advantage come from? And, you know, we read a lot of articles on it and we're trying to figure out how to build it in the simulator. And I don't actually even remember what we ended up settling on, but the home field was not. Strike like zone, a, I bet. What's that? The strike zone's going to be part of it. Yeah, we talked that that's one of the things we talked about was strike zone bias. And I think we built that in. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I don't think we got to like I think we we got to a place where we thought the model would be slightly biased against home home field because we weren't able to really capture the home field advantage why why didn't did you ever consider just running the model home field agnostic and then using statistical inference at the end to just add it i I think i think that's what we ended up doing to be honest i i honestly can't remember because we were working on this part of it a couple years ago i I just want to know if there's like home field advantage and stolen bases Why would there be? I, just, I have no idea. I just, uh, but I was just like, I wonder. Well, I, I mean, there could be, there could be because, okay, the dugout being like, I think the home dugout at Camden Yards is always on the first base side, but I think that's unusual, right? It's normally on the third base side. So may, there, there could be something related to that. Signs, you know? Uh, yeah, I think, maybe. I, th- I think what about sign stealing, that type of thing? I mean, that, that, that clearly, I mean, that I, mean I wonder if you, you ran this, it would show like the big outlier that was the Houston Astros for a while, right? Probably. Yeah, there would probably be some micro level stuff that you could do to get to that. Um, what, if either of you reincarnated as a dog, what kind of dog would you choose? I don't know what kind of dog. I'd want to be a dog that's wild, not a not a domestic dog, like a wolf. I'd want to be a Maltese poodle, like my dog Tater Tot. No, I was just gonna, yeah. just kidding. Uh, here's this one. Uh, and actually, this is interesting. With baseball season around the corner, what are the top three market maker books in terms of influence on the market for MLB? I'm assuming Penny, right? Yeah, Penny's limits are a lot lower than they used to be now, though. And so I'm not, I, I'm, but yes, they have, they have lower margins. Chris's markets are wide enough to drive a truck through in baseball. They're pretty wide, uh, but they change. I, I mean, their overnights are very wide, and then they get, they get slimmer. Yeah, you know, I bet so, through Chris and lament the markets for betting. Are you baseball, mostly though. betting overnights? No, because the limits are too small, and the and they're just huge. The 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 they're huge. The market's wide, really wide. No, I mean I think it from a price discovery perspective, like having a, having a higher holds on openers makes more sense. Does make sense. Yeah. So Chris, so we would probably say largely Chris and Penny still as market ma- mover books, market market mover books. Maybe, maybe circa. I mean, I would. Circa? I don't know. I mean, as I so said, just, I just any of the involved. any of the sharp books. So leave it at I that. I would say in general, yeah. I don't have I don't have any. I'd have to look into it a little more. I don't have any specific expertise right now on on that. Um, I think in general, the way to sort of see what books are going to be more influential is to yeah look at the margins and look at the limits they're taking too. 
I think I think people have the notion that Pinnacle is the sharpest book out there. They did for a long time, and and large and back back in the day, Pinnacle used to take very large bets. Um, but there's certain markets where they may still have a small margin, but they're taking $250 bets. In that case, they're not going to be the sharpest book just because the it's easy for people to to dummy that. Makes sense. Um, someone wants to know, give us a day in the life of Jeff Ma. Microsoft family time, sweating games, chatting with betting partners, getting action down, podcast, trading golf. Give us a Friday, Saturday. I think that'd be pretty boring. I mean, I, I, I want to hear it. You know, I, I wake up in the morning, uh, usually the first to wake up with my boys make my boys breakfast, try to get them to eat some food, uh, literally spoon feed my kids like some weird parent that because I just want to make sure they eat something. Uh, then I start my day. Uh, I have my uh, assistant block out an hour every day for me to work out. So I work out for an hour every day. My workout routine is maybe the nerdiest thing ever these days. I go uh, walk on the highest incline of the treadmill that there is and play a game of Catan on my iPad. Whenever that game is done, I go and do like a 20 to 30 minute boot camp, uh, wait, usually weights of some sort on the Peloton app. And then, uh, then go back to work, uh, usually eat, uh, try to eat dinner. Uh, I like to cook, uh, for the family, but usually try to eat dinner or go out somewhere around here and then, uh, put the kids down and, and, uh, watch some shitty TV or do some more work or stare at my phone and sweat games. But there's a lot less sweating games than there used to be. Um, so we should probably just do more uh, of a life in the, the day of, of Rufus, give us a day in your life. It's not typical. That's the thing. I kind of, believe it or not, Jeff, I'm a little bit envious of the routine you have. Well, of course you are. You're envious. You have this like alternate version of yourself where you want to be, a different person than you are, but you love the person you are. God, that was really profound. It is. I think it's like, I want to be better. I want to be better at my, get better at my deficiencies, but at the same time, part they're, they're kind of a part of who I am being kind of more of a free spirit. I don't know. Person that doesn't have that much structure. I both want, structure both helps me and I rebel against it. So what I want to know is, do you work out, for an hour at the same time every day no it's always it's always a different time because it depends on my schedule typically my work schedule where where it ends up that's i mean because i'm very jealous like there's things i want to be doing every day that i'm not like i want to be meditating every day i want to be working out every day i would love to cook more often i have cooked like twice in the last nine months mostly because i haven't been settled in one place um and, and also just because cooking just takes a lot of mental effort to, you know, figure out what you can cook and grocery shop and all that. But that's, you know, I think, Jeff, you're, you, you told me I, I should, um, and I think it's something I want to do is, is you utilize my calendar more for things beyond just meetings, but utilize it for like, I want to, I need to work. I want to use this particular time to work on this particular project. Uh, yeah, that's something but that you got to really yeah. stick to your calendar then, but the, then, okay. well, can, can we have some, maybe we should have some, like, maybe you can hold me accountable or something every week on the podcast. I have to say how many days I meditated and something like that. And just so I can 
Why don't, you, probably... why don't you just use one of those meditation apps? Doesn't that do that for you? Isn't that the whole point of those apps? I don't like use. I mean, I'm not. I I do my own type of meditation. I mean, I thought I didn't invent it. I sit and I just sit. I don't use an app. I'm used okay. to. I've done guided meditations in my Buddhist classes, and so I I have things, different meditations I I can do from there. But I don't know. I mean, I haven't honestly. I haven't really tried the apps though, so. Okay. Well, there you yeah. go. But it's more uh, about the accountability, right? Like to being accountable to someone or, or well, it's just about starting that routine, I think, more than anything now. Favorite place to watch games? On, on the couch. Yeah, I'm pretty much, if it's like a game I really want to watch, it's on the couch also. I, I like, I always like the notion of watching games outside by a beach or by a pool like i always have this this idea that like if i'm on vacation and going and watching a game by the pool it's one of the coolest things to do i'm going to be in hawaii probably for the masters so like i'll be able to go early to the pool and like watch by the pool which will be pretty cool jeff we need to go to the masters sometime anytime maybe next year okay yeah you need to invite me uh yeah i'll try to go next maybe next year we'll see maybe we'll we'll bring one person from the uh one guest from the beth the process podcast probably not but that's that's at least funny to say uh last I think, wait, thing by the way i think the last time i watched a game by the pool was when john rom got covid yeah uh well we're, the next uh rufus revival trip to vegas is going to be June 11th, if hopefully hopefully that works for your schedule. June 11th is that? Wait, is that's that the, the weekend US before. Week? That's the weekend before Father's Day slash U.S. Open. So it's not U.S. Open week. No. Okay, then I think that could work because I'm going to the U.S. Open. Okay, well, those people that are listening right now, if they happen to find themselves in Vegas June 11th, uh, Rufus and I will be there trying to revive Ruf- get Rufus again. It's a long process. <laughs> we'll have to play golf that Friday. There'll be a Beth the Process invitational. Maybe if Shane's listening, he'll like mark that down on his calendar. Although like a lot of the a lot of the um a lot of the courses like overseed in that, that weekend. That was the same weekend we had like trouble that last time getting on somewhere. Speaking of you Jeff, I think I'm ho- I'm hoping that next week I'll get to play with two of the four people in your dream foursome. Wow. And you, you know, you, you might, you could have gotten your dream for some if you came to Vet Bash. But well, I, I come out for the golf. If you guys are playing yeah. and I get to play in my dream for some, I'll come out for the golf. Oh, we can make that happen. That's that's easy. If it's like a day that I can just like come out. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's good, Roof. Like, I want you to get back on the road. Spoiler alert: I kind of got on the road. All right. Well, you did a good job, and it was a reasonable I, I, podcast. I didn't get on the road until 45 minutes into the podcast, so I figured if I lost reception, you wouldn't yell at me. All right. But then Thanks, I Aaron. over again because I was getting to bad service area a little bit. I was like, eh, pull back over. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with Scott Fawcett from uh, – what's the name of this thing? Decade App. What is it? Decade App. Decade App. And teaching us all how to manage the course with analytics. So I'm kind of excited. I want to like get, you know, I like tracking my golf game too. So I want to like. No, I'm, I'm excited about it too. Uh, we'll talk know, to you guys. 
all next week. Rufus, drive safe. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to get to play golf again. I've been visiting winter for too long. I'm excited to get back to non-winter. Uh, Rufus drives safely. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of leaded.